Welcome to Doing It On Purpose, your shortcut to reinventing yourself with a few giggles along the way for all good brown girls and beyond. I'm Dal, aka The Happyologist, your host, and after 20 years of a lot of work, I finally bossed this reinventing myself thing. As a self-proclaimed good brown girl, I've uncovered well-being secrets from my global travels and I'm saving you a few decades of work and sharing practical tips for your own reinvention and to help you find your purpose. And I'll be joined by some seriously smart good brown girls from the field of psychology, therapy, health and well-being. So if you're ready for a life upgrade, stay tuned. And don't forget to follow The Happyologist on social media for your daily dose of happy habits. I'm Dal the Happyologist and I am doing this on purpose. Hey everyone, it's your pal Dal. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today we're talking about a really tough topic and that's abuse in relationships. And for the purposes today, I'm talking about relationships being marriage or romantic or intimate in some way. A lot of us shy away from talking about this subject and sadly it's still quite taboo. But when I read sobering stats like one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner in their life, as tough as it is, you know, we need to shine a light on it and continue to tackle this head on and as a global community. And in South Asian culture, marriage tends to be seen as a status symbol. You know, the wedding day is considered a celebration and a mark of a girl becoming an adult. A huge sense of pride is felt, almost like the passing of a baton from you know, parents to the son-in-law and his family. So when things go wrong, it's so tough. And there is still this almost, you know, what we'd say is unspoken tolerance for suffering, you know, in a culture where divorce is often viewed as a failure, um, you know, brings embarrassment and shame. You know, this is still happening. So while this is finally beginning to change somewhat, as more women are starting to speak up, these deep-rooted sentiments still remain. So I just want to say abuse in any form is serious. And I say that as I've certainly been a victim of it in the past with millions of others, and it's not okay. And the thing is, we underestimate the long-term effects it will have, not just physical, but psychological too. And it can stay with us forever and impacts every element of our life if we are impacted. So, you know, we really need to understand it better to protect ourselves and, you know, and others We all have a duty to call it out. So who better to talk us through this than Shaila Pervez? Welcome, Shaila. Thank you. Shaila is a manager at Roshni, a helpline supporting BAME communities. She is well qualified about talking this topic. Uh, Although her actual background is in uh, house studies where she qualified, her interest in women's rights has always been there. She's always been curious about it, always wanting to kind of push, you know, forward, you know, uh, women's rights. Uh, And it's an area over the last decade she's become very heavily involved in, uh, which led her to becoming a board member for Roshni. And she liked the place so much she joined them and is working for them now full time. So Shaila has helped hundreds of women selflessly through cases like what I've just described. And you know, Shaila works for Roshni. Roshni, for those of you who don't know, is a charity that supports um, BAME communities affected by domestic abuse, inclu- including forced marriage and honour-based abuse. So Roshni uh, was set up back in the 70s and does support survivors through their journey to safety, you know, confidence and independence so they can live free from violence, abuse and fear. So abuse in marriages is a serious and complex issue. You know, it can manifest in so many forms, Shaila, and it's, you know, it's important to recognise what those forms are. So could I ask you just to talk us through 
what actually is abuse? Uh, I know there's so many types and some of us might not know that it's actually even abuse that we're being impacted by. So could you take us through that? Absolutely. And thank you for that introduction. So um, I've been working for Russia for several years. And in my experience, I have seen many cases where women will come to us after so many years of abuse and say, well, I, I, you know, I endured this because I didn't realize it was abuse. And I still think there's a lot of misconception and people understanding what abuse is. So if we look at the definition of domestic abuse, it is a single incident or a pattern of conduct where someone is abusive. The people involved are over the age of 16 and there's some personal connection, like they're in a relationship, it's an intimate relationship, it's a parental relationship. Uh, and also at the top of abuse comes power and control. So that that is really important in, in those relationships where certain spouses feel they need to have the control over their partner. Now, abuse comes in many different forms. We have abuse, which is physical abuse, which many people recognize where there's injuries. You know, there is violence that takes place. But there's also other kinds of abuse. And they are emotional, sexual, threatening behavior, um, cohesive control, financial, psychological. There's many different types of abuse that that can occur and some people will say well my husband you know he doesn't hit me occasionally he may shout at me or you know he controls the finances but he's my husband at the end of the day mm. and you know he runs the house and he knows what's best and you know I can't you know he's not a bad person but the thing is that is still a form of abuse and it's recognized by the law in this country and there's so many relationships where people are enduring this kind of abuse because they think well you know he runs the house he brings the wages you know he has a right to guide me and direct me if I'm wrong and this is where sometimes women will um, also feel the fact that you know he must be right because he's the man of the house but let me just explain here also the fact that we are a um, domestic abuse service that predominantly serves eight women but also we have men who call our helpline and tap into our services as well who are also victims of domestic abuse as well and if you look at the office of national statistics 1.2 million people uh, that are affected by domestic abuse are women but 700,000 are men so wow. over half are men actually as well and what we find is there are, there's quite a lot of services and things available for women and places to go to but there's very few places for men to go to mm. and, and, I, they're, and they're reported stats aren't they they're, they're actually reported right so that yeah there's so many unreported absolutely these are the only stats that come to that tap into services the police social services but there's so many cases which go unnoticed because they've never ever tapped into a service and I'm sure that figure is much more higher so you know abuse comes in very many different forms it does and it's important that we recognize them so that we're able to call it out I'd like to go into that a little bit more because actually this is really important because we've all mm. been in relationships where we've all thought that actually abuse is physical only mm -hmm. but you know I know you and I've talked about in the past you know you know there are, is narcissism there's gaslighting there's Absolutely. online digital abuse uh you know love bombing all of those things so can you talk us a little bit about those specifically what are, what are the what do they mean 
Sure. So uh, narcissistic behavior is where one person believes they're superior, they have high expectations, they're very manipulative, and they can be very charismatic as well. So when it comes to extended family and friends, they're quite loved by people sometimes out there because they have such an enduring nature. But behind closed doors, they're very manipulative, they are. And it's sometimes quite difficult to call this out because a lot of the people around you won't, won't see it. And they'll think you're making it up because he's such a lovely person. You know, he's he's is the soul of a party. He's so sociable. Yeah. He's so outgoing. How can you say that you're misreading him? You're not understanding him. The next one is gaslighting. This is where people question themselves. They're often said, you know, it didn't happen like that. You know, you're not remembering it correctly. I didn't say that. Um, you're making it up. And they'll also sometimes make you apologize for things that you don't know why you're apologizing for. So you start questioning yourself and you start doubting yourself, thinking, did I really say that? Did he really mean it in that way? So mm. it's like, you know, really fuzzing the whole situation up where you're not able to understand actually what's going on. The other one uh, is the love bombing, and I call this the Bollywood style, I do, because mm. most Bollywood bo uh, movies are based on this, where the man is pursuing the woman, it rolls into a song and a dance and so forth, and at the end, you know, he's won her over. Mm. And this is the kind of love where someone will come and uh, exaggerate um, themselves. So basically, there'll be presence coming, there's texts, there's constantly in your face, they, they do not back down. And it's almost a form of stalking as well it is, because they won't back down until you've given in. So that's love bombing, that is. Um, you've got something called ghosting as well. This is where someone, maybe you're in a relationship, and someone just abruptly ends the communication. They're not speaking to you, they're not meeting you anymore, and they've not given you a reason, there's been no situation, and you're just left guessing what's going on. And what that creates is that you start chasing that person, because you want to find out what's going on, you know, why they're doing this. And they kind of sometimes enjoy the chase they do as well. So that's why they'll abruptly leave you, because they just feel like you're going to chase them, that makes them feel wanted sometimes. Mm, yeah, and I suppose that's that's my point, because it's interesting, you know, you, you're saying all these different variations of abuse, because, you know, most people will say, well, actually, that's not abuse. People think abuse is um, just actual physical violence, right? But actually, yeah. all these forms of way people are treated are actually ca categorized quite rightly as abuse. So I think, you know, people that are listening today would say, actually, I didn't think that was abuse. Absolutely. And I think the mass media, the movies we watch, the songs we sing, you know, they kind of reinforce that kind of abuse as well, because you think it's normal for someone to harass you, to chase you, to stalk you, to love bomb you to the point where you have to give in to them. Uh, and then even the people around you will say, what else do you want? You know, he's there for you constantly. He's given you so much presence, so much affection, so much, so much love. You know, you know, surely you're crazy if you're not going to go for him. Mm. Because this is the kind of culture we live in. It's almost subconscious, right? To the extent that you don't actually know it's happening to you. Yeah. Um, you know, because like I say, your, tr your traditional way of thinking of abuse is, you know, by someone being violent to you, but actually your subconscious and, and emotionally impacting you can be so much more impactful in terms of how a person feels when you are you know playing with person from an emotional perspective because then that affects your well-being it affects your mental health right and we all know that when when our mental health is impacted it's it's huge right it's something that stays with you forever absolutely it, it is huge you're so right there mm -hmm. so, so so this brings me on to my next question actually how would you be able to define that 
it's it's a normal relationship because you know somebody could argue a woman or a man might argue you know with their love bombing or you know gaslighting will say well actually you know it was it's this is an abuse this is you know incident that happened so I guess for somebody you know for people that are listening that probably have had been victim to some of this how do they know actually whether it's a problem an ongoing problem or whether it's you know part of the you know, it's a relationship and it's a one-off. How do you know? I think first what we need to do is to look at what a normal relationship looks like. And in every relationship, there will be up and down, ups and downs. You're never going to have a constant high, a constant low. It's always going to be going up and down like this. But in a normal relationship, when you're having issues, you know, normally you can set and you can talk through. You're allowed to express yourself. Um, and you feel heard when you do talk. Uh, you feel believed when you do mention, you know, what's upsetting you, what's hurting you. And during the course of this conversation, there is always respect there. So there's not no foul language used. There's no insulting, no harassment. And you constantly have the best interest at heart for each, each other. You know, you're able to share your concerns, you know, your problems, share little secrets. And there's friendship, there's laughter, there's open conversation. And generally, you're allowed to be your true authentic self. Now, that is what a normal relationship is like. But if you look on the other side, you know, what is an abusive relationship? It's the opposite to everything I've just said. So basically, you'll have communications issues. You will fear expressing yourself because you may fear the fact it may escalate into an argument. He may become violent or she may become violent. They leave the house or they start telling other people. So you kind of like have to constantly gauge how much you can say in this relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, you know, when you do, you know, talk about how you feel, you know, you're shouted at. Uh, you'll stop from taking this anyone any further. You're not you're not believed. Things are said to you. No, it didn't happen that way. You know you're exaggerating it. You know you, you you're cooking this up in your head. Um, so you're not believed. Um, you know there's bad language that's used. There's insults, imita- intimidation. And with with abusive relationships, sometimes what you do find is there's a lot of selfishness as well, where you just care about yourself and you don't care about the other person or how they feel. Um, maybe you know they've confided in you about things about themselves or their family members and you breach that confidentiality you go and tell your family or you tell other people and they feel like you know as my intimate partner surely you should be you know this is between us but that conversation has leaked out to the wider family or friends and other people are judging you now and sometimes you know where you sometimes you have relationships where people there's constant talking and arguments but you sometimes have the opposite where the silences you know they give the silent treatment you know you're, you're not able to sit down and discuss through what happened so you're constantly just in your mind just you know trying to answer and question things all the time because there's no conversation there's a lot of hiding and maybe in your relationship you wear masks as well so you know when you come home you know, most people would like to feel that I leave all my masks in the hallway because I'm going to come home and I'm going to be my real, true, authentic self. But in some relationships, actually, you have to wear different masks when you come into the living room because you feel like you can't be your real self. Maybe we sometimes find with career women, maybe their husbands sometimes, they don't like the fact that they're doing well at work. So they're not able to share their uh, their triumphs at home to say, you know, I got promoted, I've got a wage rise, I've got this. So they're having to hide things uh, and cover things up or, or tiptoe around in the situation. So, So, I mean, these are some of the differences that occur in what a normal relationship would be like 
as opposed to an abusive relationship. Mm. And, you know, from what you're saying, it feels like, you know, the, the signs should be so obvious, right? They are obvious because there are changes in behaviors on both sides. There becomes a repetitive pattern. I think we become, and I think certainly you'll have seen this in the South Asian community, I've certainly been guilty of this, is that you get to a place where you start to think it's your fault and actually it's you that's doing something wrong rather than the other person. And when you get to that place in a very subconscious level, you start to think the other person is doing anything wrong. It's you that's doing something wrong. So therefore you need to change because, you know, abusers can be quite clever in the way that they can position their way out of getting out of being abusive in whatever form of abuse it is by by saying well actually you know you're just thinking these things you're overthinking or you know this that was a one-off or making you feel like actually this is you rather than the other person and I think that it's that kind of fine line right that starts to seep in after a while where you, you can't actually figure out who is the person that's yeah, if that person's abusing, we yeah. see, we see that a lot with women actually because you know there's a lot a lot of self doubt sometimes. They're like you know, uh, no, I don't. Um, I think he is right. You know, I, I am maybe you know career centered. I need to be more focused on the family. I need to get my priorities right. Um, so you do get women self doubting themselves sometimes. But when you sit with them and you question them, you talk things through, and then you kind of like they speak to another person, and then. When you tell them that, well, actually, I don't think it's like that, really. You know, why are you thinking like that? Because that person has kind of controlled your life and it's their, it's their narrative that kind of dominates the scene. And that's very difficult sometimes to stand outside your relationship and evaluate it and see, am I in the wrong or am I in the right? And sometimes friends and families can also not see your perspective as well. And that can be difficult to get like a neutral uh, uh, perspective on the situation because everybody's involved. Yeah, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. And, and and we'll go on to that in a bit, you know, how you're yeah. talking to other people about it. But I think, you know, from what I, you know, I'm aware, abuse is often a very cyclical pattern. So, you know, as we were saying, you know, periods of tension building up, you know, and then there's this acute incident of abuse, and then there's this period of remorse or reconciliation. So can you kind of give us a sense about what that cycle looks like. I don't know if you can give us some examples of what that might look like. So this cycle can work in, it doesn't always work in this pattern, but there is a pattern that's been identified. But sometimes it can go back to front, front to back or other way around. I mean, but generally the first thing is that there's tension in the environment. So there could be emotional outbursts, there's irritability, impatience shortness of temper so there's almost like there's something cooking up that's the first thing that happens the second bit is where there is an incident so there could be violence insults banging threatening behavior there could be um, financial control Um, so something has actually occurred now that would be the second thing and that slowly would turn on to the third one, which is reconciliation, which is where, you know, you've had time to think about what you've done. Maybe you've reflected uh, and, you, and you've apologised. Maybe there's been some affection that's been shown, some promises being made. But at this stage also is, is the stage sometimes where you get the love, love bombing again, where someone's flourishing with you attention, with flowers, with gifts and chocolates, because they're trying to win you back straight away because they don't like that separation. So that's the reconciliation. And the fourth one is where everything goes calm. So everything has kind of calmed down, it's settled down now. And there's a shift of responsibility 
So what happens here sometimes is this is where the couple may sit down and say things like, um, if you didn't do that, then I wouldn't have slapped you. So it's done in such a way it's making you feel responsible for my behavior. So so if someone, if a husband slapped his wife, he'll say, well, you know, you know, I'd come back from work. I was tired. I'd worked a long shift. And then you started that argument. I had no choice but to slap you because I had to stop you. So do you see how you've done that? Now, don't do that again next next time. So he's trying to justify his behavior. So this stage is the stage where, you know, there's reflection, but there's also sometimes manipulation as well, where you're trying to make the other person feel like, don't do that again, because I may do that again, but then it won't be my fault. Yeah, I've warned you. Yeah, I've warned right. you. Yeah. So this happens, I mean, this this cycle, you know, of, of uh, things can happen, but sometimes things don't always necessarily go in that pattern as well. And they can just shift to violence or just shift to silence. And there's nothing happening at all. So don't always think it always happens in this cycle. This this way, it can change as well. We have seen it. And I guess people, you know, just listen to what you say. When, when someone is manipulating that way and saying it is your fault, you probably become really insular, right? So you, yeah. you, 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 you stop being yourself because you're thinking anything is going to trigger this person now. Um, because it was my behavior and the dinner wasn't on the table at the right time or, uh, uh, you know, I maybe overstepped the mark when I was having this argument with that person. So therefore they stop arguing, right? Because they're fearful of anything that they say or do um, could trigger that person. Yeah. And what happens is then people start, maybe the partner, the vulnerable partner may start doing things accordingly and exactly how you want them. So so all their life is determined by, I must cook this food because this is what he likes. Be ready for six o'clock. Make sure the kids are bed in time. Make sure the house is clean. Because everything is kind of, the whole world is, is, is situated around this individual. So you're left with, who are you then? You've kind of lost your identity, haven't you? And yeah. this is where sometimes women will say, you know, I spent 15 years in an abusive relationship. I know I lost myself. I don't know who I am anymore. Because I just fitted in to, to, to the lifestyle that he wanted. And now that he's, I've left him, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I need someone to tell me what to do. And Sometimes. fear is a big piece of that, mm. isn't it? Fear is yeah. a big piece. But, you know, I started off at the beginning of this podcast, but I you know, talked about spotlight on South Asian communities, you know, because it's really important for us to put the spotlight there. Mm. And children are generally raised, as we know, to please our parents and make them proud, um, you know, not just through our achievements, but, you know, also that whole thing around settling down with the right partner, having a family, and then making sure, most importantly, that that marriage sticks. Um, and, you know, women, they often feel defective if they can't manage their marital status. There's this, you know, persistent view that women can handle more than men and so they carried on, right? So that's that's a viewpoint that you've got in your psyche anyway. So divorce or leaving a partner, you know, can be really ego crushing for a South Asian family, you know, as it's viewed as, you know, selfish, self-serving, can be seen as going against the grain of, you know, collectivism, or it can be leading to, and you've probably seen this a lot, you know, being ostracized. You know, there are all these things, but I think culture plays a huge part to play in, knowing what you do next. So if people are victims of any of the forms of abuse, which you said, how, how can they start to get out of that, that more kind of fixed mindset that they can't do anything because of all of these factors? What, what is it they should start to replace that beliefs and thinking with? 
I think I'd like to go a little bit back here. Is um, I like to look at what the expectations are because there's so many expectations, especially of women, in a married in a married situation. Uh, and the first thing is how I've noticed in our communities. You know, people say things like women need to be like water; they need to be fluid. So they need to be able to be moldable into any like utensil that they put into. So if you're put into a bowl, you become a bowl. If you put into a kettle, you become a kettle. You're, you can, you've got no self identity. And you just become what the other person wants. I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on women having no personal identity uh, and taking on the uh, identity of her husband, his family, his background and leaving who she is. So there's lots of um, expectations of a woman. You know, for instance, a woman is meant to be a chef in the kitchen, you know, a nurse for the children, yeah. a, a hostess in the living room, a seducer in the bedroom. You know, she's expected to be all these different things around the house. And just, you know, overnight, just by marrying someone, the next day she's expected to to do all these amazing things. Um, but the expectation of men is generally that he's the breadwinner, that he's the master of his house, he's going to lead the way and nav- navigate this family and, and create lineage for this family. That's the main roles that men have in a in a marital relationship, but with women, it's like you know the 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 um uh, the expectation that she's going to have children. When she has children, it's it's expected that she's going to teach them well. She's going to you know make sure they do well in school, make sure they do well in their religion, be a you know a spiritual person, be a healer, be a forgiver you know, reserve judgment, you know, and women are constantly expected to be in a very, very supportive role in everything and support their husband in whatever way and fashion they think they need to take this family forward. There is so much expectation, I would say, on women. Like you said, but how do we move forward from this? Mm. You know, what do we do? You know, it's not easy. It's not like something I could say, oh, we can work on a three-year plan. It's going to happen. It isn't at all. It's a change of mindset. We have to understand that men and women are both humans and we have our faults. You know, we have our, you know, we have our, you know, talents and gifts and, you know, we can do various things, but sometimes we can't as well. And we have to give them this space to be the people they need to be. And like women need to have their own mindset as well. They need to have the opinions. They need to know what they think of for themselves, you know, how they'd like to raise their family you know what, what aspirations they would have you know so many times I find that you know women are not allowed to have aspirations we do a lot of work with students and like sometimes girls would especially say my parents have said to me you're going to get married in a couple of years time you're just seeing your time through at this moment in time just do mm-hmm. something easy nothing too taxing because you're going to be a housewife in, in the long run and that's your main role it is so you know not having aspirations not having dreams for yourself not having goals for yourself you know um that's really sad because, you know, it seems that all these things are just catered for men. Men are meant to be ambitious, creative, travel, you know, have a career, you know, have a vision for the next 20 years. But women are just meant to follow behind somebody else mm. always, you know. Mm. You know, women today, you know, are, are achieving so much more. They are having careers, you know, they are reaching and breaking those glass ceilings that exist. So, you know, things are beginning to change, they are. But, you know, I think so much work still needs to be done, though. You're absolutely right. Uh, and I think, you know, wonderful people like yourself that are really kind of lobbying for this. And, you know, you've you've dedicated the last 10 years to being able to support people around this. I completely agree. We're always going to have these taboos, uh, certainly, yeah. you know, in this kind of these gen- this generation. Um, but I think it is about, you know, I had a moment back then 
where I just stopped and said, it's completely to your point. We're, we're all human, right? And mm. we only have one shot at this life. Mm. So mm. I have to make a decision here. Is this the life that I want for for the rest of my life, right? Is this how I want to live? Um, is this how I want my children or my nieces or my nephews or people around me? Is this the role model or the example that I want to set that this is okay? Because it still is seen as uh, a perfectly normal thing to happen within a marriage or a partnership. And um, we have to have that conversation with ourselves and say, actually, is this okay at any point? Because absolutely, we have the right. I think we need to have conversations with the whole generation of the family, with the elders, the in-laws, the young people as well. So we're all on the same page. Because sometimes young people have certain aspirations and dreams and things they want to do. But the elders of the community are kind of like the gatekeepers. And they will say, well, not in my family, that's not happening. You know, we're going to tr- follow the traditional route. You can't go uh, traveling the world. You need to get married and settled and buy a house and have your child within the first three years. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, we need to all be able to sit down and discuss what we want to do as a family and what we see. And I think, you know, we need to bring the elders on board as well, because sometimes they can be the gatekeepers yeah yeah and I think that you know in relationships it's been very clear from the outset as well there are certain things which I am not going to tolerate um you know and being very very clear on that you shouldn't have to be but actually there should be things that you know absolutely I will not tolerate in the relationship and if this happens then you know I will no longer be in the relationship so we need to be a bit more braver around that yeah Absolutely. I just wanted to go on to a bit more about the long-term mental effects abuse can have on a person and, you know, even people around them like children. We forget that sometimes. It's not just about the individual going through the abuse. It's the environment that you're in. You know, so things such as, you know, cognitive dissonance, you know, which is the, you know, psychological stress a person experiences when an action they're involved in goes against their own values, So I guess when something goes against your own values, there's going to be disconnect somewhere mentally where you've got this treatment going on, but actually it's completely against who you are as a person. So this will then, you know, you'll you'll know this better than me, but will have long-term effect uh, on your mental health. Um, Certainly did for me because, you know, you have to work through that because it can can cause, you know, so many long-term impacts. But Again, it's that whole thing around the impact it can have for you and the impact it can have for those around you, specifically children. So what's your kind of advice around that or what's your understanding around the long-term mental effects? What I see sometimes is, you know, when we have women who come to us, they've endured so many years of uh, violence and abuse. They'll say that, you know, I put up with this marriage because I had children. And my family said to me, it's not about you anymore. You've got three, four, five children. It's about them now. So you need to do this for them. And sometimes, you know, people will stay in abusive relationships. The children have like a, you know, a happy kind of a home to live in. But what happens is those children do suffer a lot, whether you stay in the relationship, whether you leave the relationship as well. Sometimes it happens in both places. What will happen, some of the things you see sometimes is that the children start underperforming at school. Um, there may be you know this antisocial behavior we had one woman who came into our refuge with like a 10 year old boy and um, he used to kick his mom and he'd hit her all the time for the smallest things 
And then when we sat him down and we had a chat with him why he was doing this, he said that his dad used to hit his mom and he's hitting her now because she's brought him away from his family, his friends, his cousins. He doesn't like mm. the new school he's in and it's all her fault. So he would blame his mom. And this is where mom would be really upset. And she'd, she'd say to us that, you know, I may took this big step for him and now he's being upset with me. And I feel really upset. Like, what have I done? I'd rather have stayed home. But, you know, obviously there is support available, which is where we know we got him counseling. You know, we got him some special support services involved to help him get through those things because they are quite challenging and it is very difficult and another case we had was where one woman had two autistic children and she was getting a lot of abuse at home from her parents because she had left her marriage and she said I couldn't take it anymore so she moved into a a, a refuge and what she found was because the children were autistic they found the new environment the smells the noises really upsetting and they were constantly crying crying to the point where mom was like, I can't take this anymore now. I'm going to go back. So she decided to go back home again. And she actually left her parents' house on two occasions to go into refuge. And she was like, I can't do this. The kids will just not settle. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to stay at my parents' house. I'm just going to wrap my ears. I'm not going to listen to what they say because I can't do, I can't make these changes. My children are challenging me. It's very difficult when you have children in a relationship because, you know, uh, you know, they get upset. You know, you maybe as a couple are not getting on, but maybe they miss their dad or they miss their mum. And, you know, there's been issues around, you know, child contact and custody. And, you know, it's very, very upsetting. It's it's very difficult time on the children it is. And they need a kind of a really good support system around them to be able to help them make those changes. But in the long term, you know, they do struggle, they do. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you do see the fact that, you know, um, because they've had unstable relationships as growing up, sometimes as they grow older, sometimes it may affect their own relationships as well. Mm. So there are quite a lot of challenges, really. There are. And like you say, I think the the kind of blurred lines come in again when the the husband, the partner, um, is is a great father right mm, mm. Um, we're talking a lot of the con- context of women here but obviously we know it can be the way around so sure. you know uh, it can be you know the, the woman you know who is the abuser but you know a lot of the time it can really affect the children because they have that great relationship with the father and actually again that dilemma kicks in doesn't it where where you say well actually he's a great parent and I don't I will take I'll take one for the team, right? I will take that abuse because it means my kids can be in a safer environment, which they think safe is, you know, that kind of, you know, uh, a typical, um, you know, family relationship, right? So husband and wife, two children or three children, whatever it is, but, you know, that kind of safe environment. So uh, what would you say to people when they, their thinking is like that? So where they're saying, well, actually, you know, he is a great dad or she is a great mom and therefore... I can't upset the apple cart because it's going to impact their happiness. How how do you how would it, how would a person kind of navigate that in their own head where they they'll stop thinking about themselves right because they're thinking about the children. So what what's your suggestions in those cases? I think um, abuse is abuse. 
if you are in an abusive relationship, you know, you've got to look at yourself and what, what this relationship is bringing to for you or it's doing to you. And if you find that, you know what, this is not good for me, it's unhealthy for me, you know, your partner may be a great mother or a, or a father, but because it's not working for you, you have to look at yourself first. And I know, unfortunately, in South Asian culture, that's the last thing we're, we're told to look at because it's about sacrificing and doing things for the larger good. But if your relationship is abusive, it's important that you do make those changes because in the long run, when your children see you be happy and, you know, there's, there's not like, you know, shouting going on in the house or arguments going on in the house, that will affect them as well in the long run because children do get affected. You know, you may say well, when we argue, the children are upstairs, but they're always hearing and they always do know what's going on actually in the house when you speak to them later on. They do have an inkling that something right's not going on and they may show that in different ways by being naughty, by, you know, doing silly things to get attention. So it's important that if there is abuse in the relationship that you do get help for it and you don't think about making those sacrifices because in the long run, even the children, when they grow up, we've had cases where adult children have turned around and said to their parents, why didn't you leave each other all our life? We've been witnessing the abuse. It was so horrible sitting upstairs on my bed, hearing my mom and dad shout and mm. swear and argue. Traumatizing. It's very traumatizing. And, and they can sometimes, you know, they can get really upset by that. And they'll show that in different ways where they're not listening to you, they're shouting with you, they're not coming home on time. And we find that a lot with young children is that they avoid coming home. They'll stay out late, they'll get into trouble. They do all kinds of things because I just don't want to go home. Mm. So you're you're almost thinking you're protecting them by not yeah. leaving the relationship, mm. Mm. but actually you're not protecting you're not. them because you're subjecting them to the, all this trauma, which, as you say, has long-term impacts because sometimes this is... Because it's normalized behavior, it becomes generational, right? So the child thinks, you know, as they grow up, actually, it's quite normal behavior because my dad used to do that to my mom, used to do that to my dad. So actually, this is normal. So no one wins in this situation um, because it's everyone, everyone is mentally scarred in some way. Everyone is. You know, Mm. that cycle continues, which is is what you, you wouldn't want. What advice? would you give or do you give people in this situation so you know you're having these conversations and it takes a lot I know it takes a lot for a person to speak out first and foremost because of a range of things especially in South Asian community but in any communities because of the the stigma the embarrassment um the impact all those things are so many repercussions so I guess get into the stage where you actually verbalize it. And, uh, you know, for me, I couldn't verbalize it to anyone because, because as I say, it's the embarrassment or the impact or the, the fact that you know you're going to have to do something about it. Um, but what would you say to people that are in that situation? Know that they're in that situation or they know somebody else that, that is actually potentially in that situation. What mm. advice would you give them? What I would say is in South Asian communities, the concept of honour is held in high regard. It is. This is where, you know, we pretend to appear like we're a really happy family, we're getting on, everything is going great. But inside, you know, there's lots of cracks, there's lots of issues going on. And we need to kind of like stop holding on to this concept of honour. And what I always say is the fact that abuse thrives in silence. And the moment you lift the lid on, 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 by, by talking about the abuse, something will happen. And something good will happen. Something will come out of this. This, uh, How do you lift the lid? What do you do? The first things we say is is try to speak to someone about it. Someone safe, someone that you can trust. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe it's not. It could be a friend. 
It could be a teacher at school. It could be a work colleague. It could be someone at your doctor's surgery. But the first thing you need to do is speak to someone. And if you can't find anyone to speak to or you're ashamed because you don't want to show your face, the next best thing is to call our helpline. There's many helplines out there, but we have a 24-hour Roshni helpline we do. We have staff that work from different backgrounds who speak different languages as well. The first thing you need to do is just call. And, you know, sometimes you may say, I'm not sure if it's abuse or not. And I don't want to tell somebody. They probably may think I'm stupid. There's no such thing as a stupid question. What you need to do is just pick the phone and say, you know what? I just want to talk about a few things. Um, I just want to bounce off a few ideas. Uh, can you tell me, is this right? Is this What, what, what does the law say about this? Or what mm-hmm. are my options? So... You don't even have to give your name to be quite honest you could say you know what i don't want to give my name but i just want some advice we're happy to part with the advice we're happy to discuss options with you you know we will talk to you if you say things like you know is, is this abuse you know what 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 does the law say you know what are my options can i can i get support will this affect my benefits um what about my immigration i'm from india i got married i came to the country i haven't got my indefinite leave to remain at this moment in time what are my rights you're absolutely fine to speak to us you are we will help you we will support you we will only breach confidentiality if we believe there was eminent risk and if there's no eminent risk we're happy to continue supporting you so please just pick up the phone and just have that chat and if you don't want to pick up the phone there's so many online organizations you can send emails to you can send messages to that can support you and i think the most important thing is that you try and connect with someone or an organization out there just to get support that's the first mm. that's the first step that you need to take and from that other things will be discussed with you and they may discuss things like well we may think you need counseling you may need you may need an outreach support worker to support you through this all this is available to you so you know i think it's important that you you try and reach out to to, to an organization any organization in your area so the key message really is kind of speaking up, isn't it? Yeah. And I think one of the things that, you know, certainly I know people that have been in these situations and, you know, advice that is giving, certainly from the police as well, is people should log incidents as well, right? Mm. So mm. they need to keep a record mm. because I think sometimes when it gets to a point where, you know, it can get very serious and, you know, you go to the police or, you know, you're asking to to recall incidents, you know, sometimes you can't remember them right and there have probably mm. been so many so one of the things that you know people are always advised is to make sure you log in this and you know you're yeah. keeping a, a note of it I mean you shouldn't get to the point where all you're ever doing is is making a note of it you need to be doing something about it but I think if you don't feel comfortable going to the police or reaching out to other people then you really need to get to a place where you are recording this uh, and making sure that you've got you know being able to recall it more than anything else. Sure, absolutely. Sometimes people will think, well, you know what, we broke up. Um, I never told anyone about it. Then he turned up to my address and he was shouting on the door. Uh, then I never told anyone about it. These could be little incidences for you, but they're very important to log with the police because tomorrow, if, if this was to go any further, you've got a history to your case. You know, you're known to the system you are. You know, go and speak to your GP about it. If it's affecting your mental health, go and get the support you need because tomorrow, if, if this was to go anyway, you know, you have, you, you're plugged into the system and people are aware of the abuse that you're going through. You won't have to start from scratch trying to build a case. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one advice, piece of advice I would definitely say to everybody is, you know, just confide in someone, even if Mm. it's not professionals in this space initially, just confide in someone. Don't be fearful. Don't Mm. be worried about judgment. Just speak to someone that you're close to if you have all of that kind of fear within you. Uh, It's really important to be able to to speak to somebody about it and get another person's, uh, you know, input on it. So first and foremost, I think, you know, I'm sure you would say is to speak to someone about it. Absolutely. But listen, this is, this is such a heavy topic, right? It really, and, but it's so important for us to kind of shine the light on. But I guess, you know, you've worked with people over the last 10 years, again, men and women. So do you have any examples, you know, of, I mean, I'll say success stories, but, you know, examples where you've seen people, you know, really be able to re-navigate their life. And, you know, and obviously we can't mention people names, but, you know, situations where you, and I'm sure you've got hundreds because of the great work that, that you and other organisations that are similar do. But actually, where what is the light at the end of the tunnel for people? To be quite honest, we've had so many women who come through our refuge services and our other domestic abuse services as well. When they come to us, especially the women from India and Pakistan who will come on a spousal visa in this country, they're very frightened to get any support if there's domestic abuse going in the relationship. And it's something they do for the last result because a lot of the times the in-law family and the husband will tell them, if this marriage doesn't work out, I'm going to deport you and I'm going to keep the kids. So they're very scared. And when they do reach out, because things have just gone really, really too far, right? The police come and they remove them and they bring them to our service. They're holding on to their children for dear life. They're absolutely frightened and scared because they believe we're going to deport them and the social services will take the children. But when they get to realise actually what their rights are, and they're like, well, I don't have immigration status in this country. I've not been here five years yet. And we're like, no, under the domestic abuse law, we can support you and we can secure your immigration. They're absolutely shocked. And, you know, because that's, they didn't believe that at all, because they, they were always told that, that they need to make this marriage work. And if it fails, they're going to be sent home and their families won't take them because obviously the concept of honour and, you know, she didn't, she didn't work hard enough in a relationship. So what we see is these ladies can sometimes stay with us for about up to a year. And within a space of the year, we see them flourish, absolutely mm. grow, spread their wings. Oh. They start to learn the language. Um, some women have never handled money before because the money had always been managed by other family members. So we teach them how to budget, how to live within their means, how to take the children to school. Uh, they start doing ESOL classes. Some will maybe start, you know, learning a small skill so they can set up a little business. And within a space of a few years, they really grow and develop to the point they've become independent now. So they've moved down. They've, they've got a flat somewhere. They're beginning to work. The kids are going to school and they've really got their life in order now. And they have a plan. And they'll say something like, you know, what? I love to go to university. I want to study this or I want to set up a beauty salon or I want to be a teacher. And they've got aspirations for themselves. They've got dreams for themselves, which they've never, ever had before. They weren't even allowed to think like that. And, you know, they're like, you know, you can see even the way they walk changes, the conversation changes, Mm. they're smiling more. The confidence. Absolutely. They're looking after themselves more. And they're like, you know what? I never knew there was light at the end of the tunnel. And we're always like, you know, Roshni is like a lantern. You know, we hand it over to every woman that comes with our service to help her navigate the way. And eventually, after a space of time, you know, they do get there. And when we, these women come back to us, someone like, 
you know what? I want to give back to the community. I want to come and work for you. I want to volunteer. I, some will donate into our service as well and say, you know, we like to make donations because you helped me when I had nothing. And today I have something and I like to help you with whatever I have. And we're absolutely delighted. And we have this whole family of women that have been interacting with our services for over 45 years now that do come and stay in contact, follow us on social media, donate, promote our work, come and work for us. Uh, and it's amazing and incredible, to be quite honest, to see that journey. We see the women from the start all the way to the end. And what you see at the end is a very different person to what was the person who was, who came to us initially, who was frightened and scared and didn't believe there was any support and thought it was the end of the road for her. Mm, wow. I mean, so commendable for organisations like yours as well that are helping these people. And I think you know, it it can take, it takes kind of all sorts of situations. It can be people that are, you know, professionals, right? And, and, you know, um, we have, you know, we have, you know, people think domestic abuse happens in the working class. Uh, it happens with people who are not very educated. We see domestic abuse happening in all areas and all walks of life. We have professionals, doctors, dentists, barristers, women who are going through a domestic abuse but can't tell anyone because they have this pristine lifestyle outside that everyone thinks they have three holidays a year they have a lovely house they have lovely cars outside what can possibly go wrong in that relationship you know you're qualified you know your rights we have women who are like barristers who are going you know, who know the law inside out but still can't talk about it themselves they're finding it really really hard because they have this image to maintain and upkeep Mm, so yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And again, it's yeah. that pressure. It's what society going to think. And and I think the biggest thing is, and this is a whole separate kind of podcast, but it's all around fear because people are thinking too much into what is X going to say, what's going to happen to me, mm. you know, what's um, you know, am I going to be able to survive? Will I still have this big house? Yeah. But you know, to your point, of some of the you know great stories that you shared in terms of you know the light at the end of the tunnel is that actually the there's a lot of time spent being fearful when actually you don't need to be because you know that you you can you know with with support from organizations like yourselves with your you know your friends your family you can get to a place where um you never thought you could be right because you've been brave enough to push past that fear and our brains are automatically, you know, you and I both know this, our brains are always looking out for fear anyway, because our brains haven't evolved, right? So we're always on high alert and we're always looking for danger. And when we're in situations like this, which are dangerous situations, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're thinking, actually, I'm probably safer to stay in this environment than go and look for more danger, because that's what fear is. But actually, you've got to get to a place where you can see that there is a way out and taking small steps and I'd say and I'm sure you agree when you're talking to people actually it's take small manageable steps rather than thinking that you need to get out of this situation you know immediately nothing's going to be all right straight away you know it won't it will probably take a bit of time but actually taking small incremental steps to be able to get yourself to a better place is so much less overwhelming and less fearful absolutely absolutely that's so true. Mm. Mm. So much, so much uh, that we've unpacked there. I think, um, look, I'm so grateful uh, for all the the information and advice that you've given. Um, and I think you mentioned there are quite a few organisations out there. So, so would people just, you know, and we will certainly put some links uh, in with 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 this podcast to share with people. But I guess, you know. 
first and foremost, you know, they can come to Roshni and lots of other national associations. I think there's a national domestic violence helpline as well, there which is. we'll put the details in. There's loads of organisations. You, you just need to Google them and a whole list will come for you. What's available in your area, wherever you are in the country. Brilliant. Okay. Well, listen, uh, this is fantastic. What I usually do at the end of this podcast is, you know, slightly on a, a lighter note, um, uh, and probably more in relation to you as an individual uh, rather than the topic. So I usually just have a couple of quick fire questions. One question that, you know, I like to hear from everyone, especially with me being the happyologist, you know, knowing what you know now, you know, what what would you say is the key to happiness? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think the key to happiness is contentment of the heart. If you're content with where you are in your life, with your partner, your career, your lifestyle, whatever choices you've made in life, right? I believe you're the most happiest person you are. And I think happiness is not measured by um, assets and wealth and cars and houses and holidays and things. I think it's quite deep it is. If you're happy being a window cleaner and that gives you contentment of your heart and you you feel like, you know, um, this is me, this is who I am, I am true to mm. myself, I think that's the most happiest person I, there is. I think I happiness that. is very simple. I think it's very simple. We've overcomplicated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And then the other quick question I wanted to ask you is, if you knew then what you do now, you know, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? What advice would you give yourself back then? <laughs> I know, it's a, an interesting question, right? <laughs> oh, God. I would tell my 20-year-old self is believe in yourself. Um, follow your dreams and don't listen to anyone. Because you know what you want better than anyone else. And I think sometimes, you know, when you're young, everyone's trying to guide you and tell you, no, no, this is right for you. This is great. This is good. And sometimes you become so overwhelmed and you're like, okay, I'll take this person's advice on board. I'll take, because they're older, they know better than me. But actually, sometimes you live in your own skin. You know yourself better. And you're sometimes able to make those judgments well for yourself. So if you can, then, you know, believe in yourself and do what you need to do. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Listen, thank you so much for unpacking all this for us. Um, I just want to say a huge thank you to you, Shaila. Um, you've shared lots of information, lots of resources. And, you know, I would just say to everyone, we will put some some links in with this podcast and do check out Roshni. You know, they've had thousands of people be able to kind of navigate this. And as, you know, Shaila's covered, you know, lots of really good positive stories that have come out of that. So, you know, first and foremost, I think I would say, you know, just to leave you with abuse does come in so many forms. If you feel like it's abuse, you're not sure it's abuse, then ask the questions, you know, don't be afraid. Uh, secondly, you know, fear is a big thing that does get in the way. I completely understand. But actually, speaking to somebody about it, even if it's someone close to you initially, uh, no one's saying you have to do something about it immediately. But I would say if any of these things resonated with you, anything made sense from what Shiley was saying, um, then do speak to somebody else about it. And remember, you are the most important person and you need to put yourself first. Um, it's really important you put yourself first because once you do that, you're able to help others. So you are a really important person. So never forget that. Thank you, Shiley. Thank you so much. Thank you so and much. I wish you all love and light. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for tuning in, lovely listeners. Any questions or thoughts? Drop me an email at dowthehappyologist.com and follow me on my social media, The Happyologist, to stay connected for regular empowering insights to supercharge your journey to purpose. <laughs>